talks to us on Totus to Us. Magnus McFarlane Barrow talks to us about Mary's meals. Good evening. I hope you enjoyed the, the film. It was lovely to be here with you to, to watch it again. The film's uh, an amazing gift to us. Uh, a very kind person in America funded the making of that film. And in, in so many ways, that's just a story of Mary's meals over and over again. Lots and lots of gifts. Gifts that never cease to amaze me. I think it would be good if I started just by telling you a little bit more about myself and, and the story of Mary's Meals. Just simply so perhaps we can understand a little bit more about how this is God's work and not, not so much our work. So when I was 14 years old, I was sitting at my uh, our family breakfast table up in Scotland, Craig Lodge, and what was a, a small hotel that my mum and dad used to run. It was also our family home. And this particular morning, my sister Ruth was reading the newspaper, and um, she suddenly said, look, it says here that there's a report that some teenagers in Yugoslavia, as it was then, uh, are having uh, visions of the Virgin Mary. And we started saying to mum and dad, you know, if that's even possibly true, we should go there and, and find out. We'd been brought up in a devout Catholic family and we knew about Lourdes and Fatima. So we started saying to them, can we go? And much to our amazement, our parents said, well, yeah, you, you can go. We're busy running the hotel at the moment. So if you want to go, uh, you can. So, so we did, about 10 of us, all teenagers, I was the youngest at 14, uh, Ruth was 19, my sister, she was the oldest, and we gathered some friends and cousins and things, and we headed off to Medjugorje uh, in Bosnia. And the few days that we spent there, this was 1983, um, the few days that we spent there really changed our lives. And we, we really came back home believing that Our Lady was appearing there, and that, um, and that she had a message for us to, to, to decide on God in a new way, to try and put God in the centre of our lives. And we tried to do that in, in a new way when we went home, and Mum and Dad could see very quickly that something had changed in us. We, we were now the ones saying to them, can we say the family rosary, or whatever it was, it used to be the other way around. And so very soon they went to Medjugorje too, had a similar experience, and, and they felt in time that God was asking them to turn our home, this small hotel, into a house of prayer, into a retreat centre. And that became Great Lodge Family House of Prayer. I'm, I'm sure some of you have been there over the years. It exists to this day, um, and a little community of people have gathered around Great Lodge, uh, just helping each other live the, the gospel uh, message. And there are retreats and different themes run every weekend of the year. So all of that work predated this work of Mary's Meals by, by many years. I, I grew up, I, I went to university after school, I lasted about six months and then gave up. I was, I was chronically shy when I was young. Um, the thought of ever doing something like this, speaking in public, um, would have filled me with, with horror. And uh, I'm sure many of us have experienced God's sense of humour. And I certainly feel that when I look back on my life and, and uh, 
laugh about the fact that God chose me to do this work that involves so much public speaking. So I, I gave up university and really cold with that move from our small village to the city and I went back home to our guide and I became a, a fish farmer, a salmon farmer in a small village there. And I really thought oh, that's probably what I would do for the rest of my life. And I, I was a salmon farmer for six years. And then one evening my brother and I watched that news item about, about the war in Bosnia that had broken out by then. And we just started saying to each other, wouldn't it be wonderful to do one small thing to help the people that were so kind to us in Bosnia all those years ago. And so we just started asking people if they would give us food and clothing and medicines. And about three weeks after that conversation, which was over a pint of beer at the pub, uh, we found ourselves driving this Land Rover full of aid out to a refugee camp near Medjugorje. And we delivered the aid and we came back home. And uh, I always say that was amazing enough. It was the first time that Fergus, my brother and I ever hatched up a plan in the pub that actually happened. So that was amazing enough. But I really came back home thinking I'd done my duty and that didn't be back to work as normal. But God had a completely different plan because by the time I got back all these things we'd asked for continued to pour into our home. Mountains of food and clothing and so on. So I prayed about it. And I decided to give up my job and I sold uh, my little house and somebody gave me a truck and I just began driving back and forth to Bosnia. And at that stage I thought maybe I'll do this for a few months, maybe I'll even do it for a year, but I certainly didn't think it would go on any longer than that. And the only reason it has is because that story I told you at the beginning of making a small plea on behalf of the poor and just being overwhelmed by people's goodness and kindness. That's really just been the story of this world ever since. In the, in the early years, from that first delivery of aid in 92 until 2002, uh, all the work we did was in the name of Scottish International Relief, which was the name of the organisation we registered. And we did all kinds of things, not just emergency aid in Bosnia. We started working in Romania, where we took out uh, children to hospital wards who'd been abandoned. Um, and who were neglected in every sense of the, of the word. We built homes for them with Romanian friends. Um, we did the same in Latin America. We built homes for abandoned kids in Colombia uh, and, and Peru. We began working in West Africa, um, running primary healthcare projects and, and emergency aid during um, the war in, in Liberia. Lots of different things. And then in 2002, ten years after this work had begun, Mary's Fields was born. And it was born in Malawi, uh, in South East Africa. That year, 2002, was a terrible famine year. And uh, I was there uh, helping to deliver uh, food into villages where people were starving. And I was with a local parish priest there, and he took me to meet a family. Uh, in his parish, and he explained to me before we went in their home, um, that was just a two-room mud uh, brick house, and he explained to me that the father of the family had died some time before, and that the mother was now dying as well. And when I went into their home, the mother, who was called Emma, was lying on her bare floor, and, and she was in agony, she was dying, she had AIDS, and she, she didn't even have the possibility of, of buying a painkiller, let alone medicines, um, to treat HIV, 
Emma had her six children sitting all around her on the floor. And I started talking to her and she said, you know, there's nothing left for me now except to pray that somebody will look after my children when I'm gone. And she was panicking about that because all, all of the adults that she knew in that village were already caring for orphan children because of the AIDS epidemic there. And then I started talking to her oldest child sitting beside her, and he was called Edward, and Edward was 14 years old. And at one point in the conversation I said to him, maybe like you'd say to any young person you meet for the first time, and I said, Edward, uh, what, what are your hopes in life? What are your ambitions? And he said to me, I, I would like to have enough food to eat, and I would like to be able to go to school one day. And that, that, was it. that was the extent of Edward's ambition at, at 14 years old. And that was one of the things um, that, that sparked the birth of, of Mary's Meals. Over and over again, in the years before that, we were meeting children who were out of school because of poverty, because of hunger. Children who were uh, begging or who were working in the rubbish dumps and who were working in the fields just doing whatever it takes to put the next meal on the table and missing out on school. And that's, that's why we decided to take this new approach of just providing one good meal every day in a place of education to meet their immediate need for food, uh, but at the same time to tackle the underlying cause of poverty by helping them come to school and get an education. And from the beginning of this particular work in 2002, we felt very strongly that this work in particular was Our Lady's work, and we wanted to give it to her. That's obviously why we called it Mary's Meals. And we gave it to her and we just asked her to, to pray for us, to show us how she would have us do this work in a way that would honour her and, and her son. And I'm sure that's why this work has just grown in this I would say miraculous uh, way. So it's something that just um, never ceases to, to amaze me. And it just, it just keeps growing. Even since the film was made um, a few months ago, uh, it's grown again. And there's a number at the end of the film that says 700,000 children being fed every day. Um, and now it's over 750,000. Um, so that number, thank God, just keeps growing. And, Whenever, you know, whenever I think about Mary's Meals, I just think about it as a series of lots and lots of little acts of love. No one's doing anything spectacular in their own right. We're all just doing what we can with that same goal. Nearly all our, our income to feed all those children comes from many people making small donations all, all over the world now. People are supporting us that way. And the work grows because people are volunteering to become speakers or finding different ways to raise awareness uh, of, of Mary's Meals. We're not an organisation that pays for advertising or um, pays for armies of PR and marketing people. It's a work that just grows uh, through word of mouth, through people just uh, simply having it in their heart to tell other people uh, about the work. And that's, um, you know, if, if you've liked what you've learned about Mary's Meals today, that's something um, that 
perhaps you can play about and, and see if you want to get uh, involved in that way. But prayer itself is very much part of the mission of Mary's Meals. I, I always describe Mary's Meals as, as a fruit of prayer. I described you at the beginning how I grew up in that place that became a retreat centre. And for almost exactly 10 years before this work was unexpectedly born, there was daily prayer going on uh, in that retreat centre uh, where we have the Blessed Sacrament. And I, I'm sure that this work is a fruit of that prayer and to this day grows because so many people around the world pray uh, for the work that we might reach many more hungry children. Because it's amazing that we're feeding so many today, but it's also very sad that there are much bigger numbers than that of children who are still waiting for Mary's meals uh, all over the world. But whatever country we're in, there are waiting lists of schools uh, waiting, waiting for Mary's meals. The work of Mary's meals is, is non-denominational. It's a work that involves people of lots of different faiths or, or no faiths. At the same time, those of us who founded it want to be sure that we are always able to proclaim uh, why we began this work to tell people about our faith and the fact that we believe this is a work of God and that in particular that it's a work of Our Lady. But at the same time, we want it to be a work that anyone can take part in. And something that I see more and more as the work grows is how God uses this uh, work to bring people to, to Him. I spend a lot of time talking in, in schools, for example, and very often talking to young people who um, certainly wouldn't come into a church if we invited them to, um, or wouldn't perhaps come to a talk about religion or faith. But I find over and over again, when I have the chance to talk to, not just me, lots of people, when we talk to people about Mary's meals, young people love that and they want to know more and they want to know what the motivation was for starting this work. And very often if I'm talking um, in, a, in a school, certainly if it's a school that's not a Catholic school, I won't necessarily tell them during the talk why it's called Mary's meals. But inevitably, in the, in the question and answer part, someone will put up their hand and say, Why is it called Mary's Meals? Is that your wife? Is that, is that your mother? And, uh, and then I can tell them, No, it's Mary's mother of Jesus. And I can say to them, Do you know that Mary brought up her child in poverty at, at times? Do you, do you know that she was a refugee who had to um, flee to Egypt uh, with her family? And then this dialogue begins. Uh, and so often, those young people know nothing about um, Our Lady or, or Jesus. And uh, I think God's using this work in a very powerful way in that, in that regard. That really struck me again actually last week. Last week I was in Liberia in West Africa after a few days where we have one of our biggest programs. And Liberia is a country that suffered so much at a really terrible civil war in which so many people died. I went there first in 1997, at the time when there were still many trial soldiers there. There was so much horrendous violence and, and suffering. And I went there at the invitation of an English priest, a missionary priest called Father Gary Jenkins, who's now lived in Liberia for 40 years. And uh, 
when I first went there in 97, we were taking emergency aid into refugee camps. Nearly all the people from the rural areas had had to flee. And um, at that time, the war was, one of the wars was just ending, and we were starting to go back to those people into their villages and were helping them to start their, their lives again. And it was wonderful even last week to go back all these years later and meet so many of those old friends that I first met in those refugee camps and who I've been meeting regularly ever since. In Father Gary's mission compound out in this town where we're based, there's a very simple cross beside his church that marks the spot where he had to bury 300 children who starved to death at that time uh, in, in the compound. And it's, it's a really stark reminder every time I go back there of how those people suffer. And just beside that is our base, the base for Mary's Meals. And Mary's Meals is just growing there in this beautiful uh, way. Um, so today uh, we're feeding about 80,000 children uh, just in that part of, of Liberia. And less than half of the children in Liberia today go to school. So it's having this huge impact. Wherever we start serving Mary's Meals, we see the school role increasing incredibly. But as I say, it's what we last week very much just the different ways uh, that God uses people, uses us to evangelize. There's so many different ways to evangelize, I think. And first of all, I was sort of just looking at Father, Father Gary Jenkins as in the priest who first took me out there, still there after 40 years. When he went to Liberia, to that part of Liberia, there was no church there, there was no Catholic church. Traditionally, it was a Muslim part of, of the country. And he started with one little church, which has now become a big church. But today, there's, there's a hundred little churches and villages all across that part of Liberia um, that he began. And what was a parish that he formed will soon become a diocese. The, the, first, um, the first child from that tribe, the Gola tribe in that area that he baptized, uh, has recently become a bishop. Uh, in, in Liberia, and it's incredible just to go there and see what's happened to that one missionary priest, to that one um, decision of his to pour his life out uh, in Liberia for the people there to bring them the good news. But then you see God um, reach people in all sorts of other ways too. So this time I was there because we just. Um, we just expanded Mary's Meals into a new area in the rainforest, very remote part, very small villages in the forest. And I was visiting lots and lots of schools that had just started to receive Mary's Meals. And all of the people in that area are, are Muslim. And it was, I found it so moving to go into those communities and be invited into the, those uh, meetings with the, the leaders of those communities, the imams and the chiefs. And, it was so wonderful to, to pray together. We wanted to start every meeting uh, by praying together. And so often with this work now, we're working with, with Muslim people. And they, they love the fact that this work is called Mary's Meals. They see Our Lady uh, as Miriam, the mother of the prophet. So they have a different belief, but they have a huge devotion and respect for her. So they love the name. Uh, of, of the world, and again it opens up this dialogue. I have so many fascinating conversations with them about Our Lady, and I really think 
that's becoming part of what God's doing through this work as well. And then the third way, last week I talked about how God's using this work to bring people to Him. Um, a few years ago when we were starting I mean, meals in some of the villages, we, we continually encountered uh, dead children and they were so often completely neglected. No one, uh, they never had the opportunity to learn sign language. They had no way of communicating uh, with their peers or anyone else in the community. And they are marginalized in every sense of, of, of the word and are unable to take part in any community activity. So after some time, we decided to start a school for those children. We opened this residential school and today there's 79 children uh, who are there, who live there and who learn there. And after four or five years now of running that place, it's wonderful to go back and meet these same children who now can use sign language, who can now communicate, who can now tell us their names and something about their, their story. And it's completely transformed their lives. And I think the highlight of my visit last week was we, we had a mass in, in Father Gary's main church there to celebrate Mary's meals and thank God uh, for, for what he was doing through Mary's meals. And in Liberia there's a very beautiful tradition of liturgical dancing. The children in the villages learn a dance during the liturgy at mass. And so they would dance in at the entrance of the feast and at the offertory and they would dance around the altar doing uh, Eucharistic prayer. It's very, very beautiful, done with great reverence and hours and hours of practicing uh, has to happen before you're allowed to be part of the, the liturgical dancing team. So anyway, when I was there, uh, I learned that the dead children have been practicing now for many months uh, liturgical dancing. And this was the first match when they were going to have the opportunity to be part of that celebration as dancers. And it was so beautiful to watch them take part in the Mass uh, that way. Children, most of whom had never been going to church before coming to our school. And then one of them, Esther, had been practicing all week so that she could read, pray the Magnificat to us during uh, the Mass. And to watch her sign the Magnificat and to, to praise God, the one who builds the starving uh, with good things. Uh, the one who raises the lowly. It was, it was incredibly beautiful uh, and incredibly moving. So more, more than anything, I just thank God for this, for this work of Mary's Meals. It's not something I personally or anyone ever planned. It's something that was born very unexpectedly and grows in all these amazing ways, ways that we could never plan. Something we're very careful about with Mary's Meals is not to start kidding ourselves that we are in charge. So as we grow bigger, yet we have to do a certain amount of planning and budgeting, obviously. But we are really careful never to become an organization that starts setting targets and saying, we'll keep X number of children by such and such a year, because that's all in God's plan. We feel we just keep doing small things faithfully every day, and God looks, looks after the rest of it. Let me just finish with one little story because I think something else maybe that I've learned over the years is I know sometimes in the early days of doing this work I had the wrong idea when I would go to some of those 
and this community is thinking that kindness is one that was doing all the giving, you know, or doing all the evangelizing. So often it's the other way around. I experience that over and over again. Very often the incredible uh, deep faith of people who materially at least have, have nothing. And I always remember this one occasion in Colombia. I was working with a priest there who was uh, working with, with sweet children. And um, we would go out at first light in the morning looking for children, see them in the street, offer them a hot breakfast. And this particular morning we had a journalist with us who was writing a story about children. And we found this little boy, he was about six years old, sleeping under some cardboard. And we woke him up and we gave him breakfast and we began speaking to him. And the journalist was trying to piece together a story about this boy's life and she said to him, um, who's your best friend? And he looked up at her and he said, God is. And she was very taken aback, so was I, because we knew that little boy um, didn't go to school. We knew that no one had taught him any catechism. Um, and yet he said that with real conviction. And so the journalist said to him, um, why, why do you say that? And he said, uh, because God gives me everything I need. And that little boy, he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. He was a little boy who'd seen his friends murdered on the streets. And yet he really uh, trusted in, in God to give him everything that he needed. And, and he certainly um, evangelized me uh, that day uh, as well. So I just thank God for this work and that he called me to play a particular part in it. Um, I'm very aware that we don't, I think Mother Teresa often said, we don't need to go to faraway lands um, to help people or to bring Jesus uh, to them. I know there's um, so much we can all do uh, in that regard, just starting in our own families, in, in our own communities, uh, and then too we can think about those in faraway lands um, who are hungry. So thanks very much for watching the film. Thanks very much for inviting me down uh, to, be, to be with you. Thank you.